Hello and welcome to another Aegis Accounting podcast, uh, this time still totally on the theme of COVID-19 and support for self-employed and small business. Uh, we're going to be looking through the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme, uh, the Self-Employed Income Support Scheme, have I said that right, um, and uh, another little brief bit of news that came out, uh, how that applies particularly if you're a limited company uh, contractor, limited uh, company director, owner as well, because there isn't an awful lot of guidance that's clear for that position. I know that's going to affect many of you. Again, I've got a stack of papers and a coffee. This time, hopefully, I'm going to actually drink some of that coffee. Um, <laughs> you'll usually uh, notice if you watch on the video that I make myself a lovely coffee for a, a, a podcast and then have one sip at the beginning and proceed to forget it for the rest. Hopefully I'll actually remember to drink it this time. Um, if you don't have a coffee or drink handy, go fetch yourself one. There's a lot of detail in this, um, specific to certain uh, situations. Grab a drink, settle in, uh, and we'll go through it. Right then, so we'll start with um, actually a, a much simpler one. I've already spoken about it before, which is deferral of VAT payments. Um, we have been running throughout this fast-moving situation a mailing list uh, and an always up-to-date guidance webpage. Um, there's links to that in the description um, along with the rest of the show notes. If you go to that and you sign up your email, you'll get uh, updates anytime these official documents change. We're watching them um, several, several times a day to, to detect any changes to the advice that's being given to those who are self-employed um, or running a small business so that you don't have to keep monitoring it yourself. Hopefully you'll find that a useful service. Go sign up, put your email in, and uh, we'll let you know anytime uh, the guidance changes. So uh, part of what happened over this past couple of days is that the whole bunch of guidance documentations came out from HMRC. Uh, one of them was on deferral of VAT payments. Um, it basically says, and I just wanted to clarify this position in case you've seen this advice already, you will st still need to submit your VAT returns, um, but if you want to defer paying a VAT uh, between the 20th of March 2020 and 30th of June 2020, um, just don't pay it. Uh, it says specifically, you do not need to tell HMRC that you are deferring your VAT payment. Um, so yeah, if you normally pay a direct debit, it still says to cancel your direct debit as soon as you can. It used to say that in a different document when they took it away. I wondered if they were retracting the advice. Uh, but no, they still suggest here explicitly in writing, cancel your direct debit as soon as you can, um, as they previously said in their advice, so they don't accidentally take the payment anyway. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you'll have to reinstate that for your future bills. It says, if you choose to defer your VAT payment as a result of coronavirus, you must pay the VAT due on or before the 31st of March 2021. Now, lots of you are on quarterly payments, so to be safe, I would suggest that you pay everything that's due in whichever quarterly payment is uh, happening between uh, January and, and, and the end of March 2021, and then you'll have paid it by that deadline. Um, I know there's a lot of speculation as to whether they mean the end of March or the end of March the end of April, the end of May. I would go by what's said explicitly in the document for now until we hear anything more and pay it before, uh, on or before that date. That's what they've said for now. Um, yeah, and after the, the end of the deferral period, uh, VAT will have to be paid as normal. So that is basically that. Uh, oh, and this does not cover VAT MOS payments. If you know what that is and that applies to you, it doesn't cover it. 
there you go. That was a short one. Nice. It's not the most complicated of them. It's the others that are. Uh, I'm going to start from the perspective of the uh, limited company owner director because there's not been much said about that. The first concrete thing to tell you which of these two schemes, either the self-employed income support scheme, that's 80% of the average of your self-employed earnings over the last three years, broadly speaking, or the job retention scheme, uh, scheme that's 80% of your um, PAYE earnings um, over the previous uh, however many long. It's <laughs> Which of those are you supposed to look at? People in, in the usual parlance would refer to themselves as self-employed if they ran their own limited company and it maybe wasn't, maybe you wouldn't talk about it as a traditional small business, maybe you're a contractor, you might consider yourself self-employed. HMRC does not and legally you're, you're not in the same way. Uh, when you complete a tax return, uh, there's a section on employment and self-employment. If you fill out that point, that bit that's self-employment, that's what they mean. If you don't, because you have a limited company that employs you and you fill out your employment from that, then you're employed through POA. And so we have had as an open question for a little while, is the job retention, uh, coronavirus job retention scheme going to be open to limited company directors? And the confusion was over whether you could furlough yourself. That's that phrase used to say you're at home, you're not working, there's nothing to do. Can the government give you your business the 80% of your salary to still pay you a salary? Because if you're self-employed, you're going to have that 80% available. So what about, and if you're employed, PYE, you're going to have that. So what if you're a limited company? It would appear that it is that job retention scheme that you're looking at. And that's because it took a bit of a research and hunting, but we found it reported in a couple of places, managed to corroborate it. I have seen it spoken from the horse's mouth. This was uh, from Ben Kerry, the head of labour markets of Her Majesty's Treasury, speaking during a webinar interview from the Confederation of British Industry uh, held uh, on Friday, uh, that's the 27th of March. And uh, he said, uh, and I quote regarding limited company directors, that does not disqualify them from being furloughed so long as they are on POYE payroll. My aside here is the concern was, can you really furlough yourself if you're a limited company director when you actually have to still be working in the best interests of your company as part of the requirements of you when you're a director of a, of a company? You have to be working in the interests of that company. Um, so assuming you're not actually off sick and unable to do anything, then you should be continuing to look after the interests of the company, which may not be the same as doing the job. Let's say it's a service company and you are one of the people who deliver the service, maybe the only person who delivers the service, but can you still furlough yourself? You may not be delivering service, but you're acting in support of the company still. That's a form of work, but no, this, this brings that clarity because he has said that does not disqualify them from being furloughed as long as they are on PAYE payroll. I understand that they will have some statutory duties and obligations, such as filling out their accounts, and they will still be allowed to undertake those statutory duties while they're being furloughed, so that would not count as doing work. So uh, that's you couldn't answer it more clearly. He goes on to say, one of the key conditions for the furlough scheme is that the employee is not allowed to work for the employer, but if you are the owner-manager and you do have statutory duties, then you can continue to undertake those duties while being on furlough. However, 
be careful because when asked in the same interview, can you work for even a few minutes from home while on the job retention scheme? The quote is, designed for individuals who would otherwise have been made redundant. One of the key criteria to this is they cannot be working for their employer while they're on furlough. And he goes on to say, unless they have statutory duties, they shouldn't be working for their employer. And that's quite a change from the self-employed income support scheme, as we'll hear about in a minute, where you can continue to do your work and still claim the grant. This is the job retention scheme and you cannot do your normal work and apply and be uh, given that grant. So that's the perspective you should be taking from it. And of course, PAYE earnings, not dividends. So if as a limited company owner, you claim a mixture, it's only your PAYE earnings that would enter into this calculation. And if you, uh, and your dividends would not. If you only take dividends, neither of these are going to help you, I'm afraid to say. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, hardly the best situation. Still, uh, you. I know one of you watching this in particular may be in the scenario where you have recently been self-employed and you are now moving to a limited company. There'll, there'll be several of you for whom that might be true. If that is the case, there's a specific date on which if you are still trading self-employed, um, you, could, you could claim this. It is possible to work self-employed for a limited company that you set up. But if that applies to you and you're a client of ours, maybe I'll reach out to you individually because it's a, it's a bizarre situation, but I know that it does apply to some. Um, I'll go through the schemes and then maybe I'll come back to that um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit further uh, because I think that might be useful, maybe for more than one or two of you. So let's, uh, let's move on. The uh, job retention scheme and how it works. There are two guidance documents from HMRC. Um, and one of them is from the perspective of an employee and the other is from the perspective of an employer. There are subtle differences between them, so we've read both uh, and we'll give you, well, here's the guidance. So from the employee, employer's perspective, make sure I'm getting the right one. So the employer's perspective, you are a business owner and you employ people. Here's what your advice specifically is. Firstly, uh, it won't be available, uh, this, this online service won't be available uh, until the end of April 2020. Uh, well, that's when they expect it anyway. So then you'll be able to do it for now, not yet. Obviously they're thinking about monthly payrolls and hoping it will be up and running for April payroll. So what they are saying here is that employers can use a portal to claim for 80% of furloughed employees, remember employees, not working um, uh, for their usual uh, monthly wage costs up to £2,500 a month plus the associated employer national insurance contributions and minimum automatic enrolment employer pension contributions on that wage. Um, so it's not just the wage costs, it's also the employer's national insurance and um, automatic enrolment pension contributions. You can use the scheme anytime within that period. It's open to all UK employees that had created and started a PAYE payroll scheme on 28th of February 2020. And in particular, you can only uh, claim for employees who were on that PAYE payroll scheme on the 28th of February 2020. Um, and they can be on any type of contract, full-time, part-time, agency, zero hour. It's fine, obviously not self-employed, but PAYE. Um, it covers employees who were made redundant since the 28th of February, if you rehire them. 
and your I'll move on to it in a minute, but from the other perspective document, which your employee or ex-employee may have seen, they're aware that you could rehire them. Um, so think about whether you might do that. If you have someone that you had to make redundant like that because the money just wasn't there, and now you will be eligible to make this claim, consider doing the good thing and rehiring them and having their costs um, paid, uh, and then having them still on. Uh, you know, if only for the duration, because you can still make them redundant afterwards. If in fact your business has fundamentally changed over this period, there's nothing stopping that redundancy happening at a later date, um, but you have the opportunity to provide them with an income they might not be able to get elsewhere. Maybe you should consider whether you could do that. Um, of course, remember when on furlough, an employee cannot undertake work for or on behalf of the organization. They are unable to work because there's no work for them to do. That's the concept. So. Um, there was an item that I wanted to talk about here for limited contractors in particular. If you have a limited company and you've been paying yourself dividends and you were considering putting yourself into payroll so you could qualify for this, you've missed the boat if you didn't get that all set up by the 28th of February. So there's no point to rush or attempt to try to do anything at speed. I know there's a, there's mixtures of bad advice out there advising you to move quickly and do things that won't make any difference. This won't make any difference. It's been specific. If you were on POA payroll on the 28th of February, you qualify. If you weren't, then you won't, and you'll have to look to other forms of support. There are some, let's see what other elements are we here. Employees hired after the 28th of February cannot be furloughed uh, or claimed for on the scheme. So if you just hired someone in the early parts of March, there's nothing uh, to help you with them here. And likewise, if you're a contractor after the 28th of February, you can't have got yourself onto payroll and expect to get the support. I'm afraid it won't be there. If your employee is on unpaid leave, if perhaps you had, for your business, you managed to convince some of your employees to go on unpaid leave for a period, uh, they cannot be unfollowed while they're on, 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 on unpaid leave. Um, but if they were placed on unpaid leave after 28th of February, then Yes, they can, but if it was before then, then they can't. So most would have been after the 28th of February. Some businesses were affected earlier, most were affected afterwards. So if someone did take unpaid leave uh, middle of March, um, you may now choose to furlough them instead, that's possible. If your employee is on statutory sick pay, they should, that's the word they've given here, they should get statutory sick pay, but can be furloughed after this. Um, assuming that they're on sick leave for, for normal reasons or for self-isolating reasons. Um, if they are shielding in line with public health guidance, they can be placed on furlough. Um, we said that before, that uh, self-isolating, not because of SSP or ESA if you're self-employed, would come in, be able to come into effect if you are isolating because someone in your household was ill, because that's the official medical advice, or if you're isolating because you yourself are ill, um, or if you're on normal sick, you know, some other sickness, uh, then all those things still apply. Uh, but not for having to stay at home because it's essentially lockdown. That doesn't, that's not what it's for. Um, but if you are shielding, you're one of those people who've got that letter and for 12 weeks, is it at least, you're going to have to be staying inside and getting other people to go out and do stuff for you. If that's you, uh, it's not SSP, but you can be furloughed. So that's what it seems to indicate here. If your employee has more than one job, you can be furloughed for each job or some jobs or not all jobs. 
you, it's a per employment scenario thing. So you might be furloughed on one job because there's no job from that employer. But if you have another form of employment that's continuing, that's fine, they don't conflict. And interestingly enough, the cap up to 2,500 applies per employer. So if you've got a different employer for each, then who knows, maybe, maybe you'll be furloughed and doing quite well out of this. I'm sure it's quite rare, but it might happen. Um, if you, uh, if your employer, if your employee chooses to do volunteer work or training, a fellow employee can take part in volunteer work or training as long as it doesn't provide services to or generate revenue for or on behalf of your organisation. So as long as it doesn't constitute work, that's fine. But if you're doing training, there are actually requirements for national minimum or national living wage. Um, so. If it says here, if workers are required to, for example, complete online training courses while they are furloughed, then they must paid at, be paid at least the national minimum wage, even if that's more than the 80% grant that the employer is getting for your services. So let's say you are already on national minimum wage um, as an employee and you are having to do training, you will have to be paid full national minimum wage payment for your hours training not 80% of it, so the employer will have to step up and pay the difference. That's what that's saying. So if you are the employer, and likewise that applies to you and your employees, they must be paid the national minimum wage if you're getting them to do training, even if you are going to get less grant from the government for it. Working out what you can claim, there's a section on here, it says specifically fees, commission and bonuses should not be included. So uh, that's going to be tricky if you are talking about sales staff and they're on commission only, it says they should not be included. Should is not the best word they could have chosen here. Must would have been a clear directive. Now, I'm not entirely sure whether you have the capacity to make your own judgment decision here. I'm not entirely sure. It suggests fees, commission and bonuses should not be included. If you wanted to stay the right side of this, they can audit later and claw back any money they think has been paid out in error then uh, yeah, then you shouldn't be able to include that. So it would be the basic element of the pay packet that is to be used when you do event are eventually able to claim for this, for this, um, for this grant. That's what it says. Um, an employer can choose to top up an employee's salary beyond this 80%, which you're not obliged to. That's interesting to know. So if you are, for example, you own your unlimited company and you're um, your work is affected to a point where you think you're justified in claiming for the job retention coronavirus job retention scheme, then you could also still withdraw further salary uh, up to your normal 100% from your limited company if it would support it. That's okay. So that's worth remembering. You can do that. Also, if you're a generous employer and you have cash reserves but not enough to pay everyone's wages, and, but you would like to keep them at 100%, you can. Um, of course, the uh, national insurance and the uh, pension contributions that would be due on that extra amount will also be yours to pay. That won't be in that grant either. The grant will only be calculated on the 80%, including the employer's national insurance contributions and, and the uh, automatic enrolment pension contributions. Employees whose pay varies. If the employee has been employed for a full 12 months prior to the claim, you can claim for the higher of either the same month's earnings from the previous year or the average monthly earnings from the 2019 to 2020 tax year. Two interesting things here. The 2019 to 2020 tax year has not finished yet, which means there's an awful lot of scope for changing figures slightly. You haven't even provided a return for that. 
Uh, I take that back. They must be on the POA scheme, of course. Momentary slip of judgment there. All that detail will already be with um, uh, HMRC. So they'll have that with the exception of one paycheck from March, which is perhaps why they thought they don't need to worry about that. So it's the average monthly earnings from this most recent tax year that we're almost about to finish, um, or the same month's earnings from the previous year. They're obviously trying to capture seasonal business uh, there. Um, so if this was a traditionally a big boom month, then you can still pay that, uh, still claim that um, by looking at last year um, for that um, for that uh, employee. But if the employee has been employed for less than a year, you can claim for the average of the monthly earnings since they started work. So you only have access to average monthly earnings if they've been with you less than a year. If the employee only started in February 2020, then you will need to use a pro rata for their earnings so far to claim. That is good news for someone who just started a job in the middle of February um, because <laughs> they would be able to uh, make their claim. That might be good news for you if you started your payroll uh, for yourself as a limited company owner uh, in February and you started that in the middle of February because you would be able to claim for that earnings assuming you had the payroll and POIE systems all set up uh, and running by the 28th of February and you had your payslip for February handled on that date or before. So you would then be able to pro rata that. Um, yeah. I think this is most of the detail to do with job retention scheme uh, that's uh, relevant. Uh, oh no, I, so many bits of paper, even more to talk about. Uh, furloughed workers who are not working must be paid the lower of 80% of the salary or 2,500, even if, based on their usual working hours, this would be below national minimum wage. The only exception to that is if they are training, which we spoke about a moment ago, when they would need to get the national minimum wage or national living wage. Um, HMRC will retain the right to retrospectively audit all aspects of your claim. Well, really, they have that right anyway. But, uh, you know, that is how tax works. It was up to, I think it's six years later. We, that's why we keep things for at least seven years. Uh, they can really go delving back in some detail into your tax affairs and correct things that they think they need to correct. Um, it is unsurprising that they retain the right to retrospectively audit all aspects of your claim. What they're saying is, don't be fraudulent, we will be looking. What else do we have? Uh, you can only submit one claim at least every three weeks, which is the minimum length an employee can be furloughed for. Uh, that's bizarrely not in this document and mentioned more in the document from the perspective of the employee, but from the perspective of the employer, there is at least a passing reference to this. You can only submit one claim at least every three weeks. That's curious phrasing, isn't it? That's not clear what that means. Um, that's the same as the minimum length an employee can be furloughed for. So each individual employee can be furloughed for a minimum of three weeks. They can come back and do some work and you can furlough them again. So you can't claim for them multiple times more quickly, um, the minimum length of a furlough duration is three weeks. So if you think your business may come back online within a month, you may choose to furlough your workers for that minimum of three weeks and then revisit and re-furlough them. That's something that you can do. Uh, what else do we have? What to do after you've claimed? You must pay the employee all the grant you receive for their gross pay. Making that very explicit here, you must pay the employee, you can't keep it for other purposes. No fees can be charged from the money that is granted. You can choose to top up the employee's salary, but you don't have to. It must be used. 
um, for that purpose. If you do anything else for it, you can imagine that you will not only have um, fraud problems, but you will have the kind of PR that would destroy a company if you take money that should be for your employees and then use it for yourself. Expect bad things. When the government ends the scheme, there's no date there because they're not saying when it's going to end. We know it's going to be for at least three months, but when they do end it, it says you must make a decision depending on your circumstances as to whether employees can return to their duties. If not, it may be necessary to consider termination of employment redundancy. So the date on which they say this is done, uh, the scheme is finished, which presumably they'll give some significant heads up to say you have one or two months left of the scheme available and then it will uh, terminate. Then you're going to need to make decisions whether all those furloughed workers are going to have work to do. There's a mention here, which I know has confused some of you, uh, the last paragraph, next to the last paragraph in this document, tax treatment of the coronavirus job retention grant. Don't pay too much attention. It's saying payments received by a business under the scheme are made to offset those deductible revenue costs, blah, 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 blah. This is a confusing thing that makes some of you think you can, tax is going to be due by the company um, against this grant before they've paid their workers. It's not. It's just making a statement that the, the, the grant is to be used wholly to pay workers. If by any bizarre reasoning um, that isn't fraudulent, you end up with a net positive amount in your, in your bank account at some point, it'll be taxable. It's just covering their bases that if for whatever reason, presumably non-fraudulent, because they've said that you must pay it to the employees, if for any reason you end up with a net positive, uh, it's a taxable income. That's all they're saying. It's just covering themselves to make sure that uh, uh, they uh, are properly treating this for tax um, if they do make any small errors. But it would be a small error because it's all supposed to be destined for your employees. Right, that's the document from the employer's perspective. But there are a few interesting things from the corresponding document from the employee's perspective. If you are an employer, your employees may have found and looked at this document already. So it's interesting to know uh, what's in it. And this time I'm going to remember to have a sip of my coffee, even though it's probably cold. Luckily, I like cold coffee. Right. So uh, this document is uh, given the title, Check if your employer can use the coronavirus job retention scheme. Uh, and it's mostly the same detail that we've just heard about from the employer's perspective. But there is a specific line here which says, check if you're eligible. The first sentence, both you and your employer must agree to put you on furlough. Now that wasn't stated in the other document, which seems ridiculous to me that that guidance wasn't explicitly given. Both you and both the employer and the employee must agree. Now there are a mixture of interpretations of this around on the internet when there are multiple parties involved in the employment chain. So if there's an agency, uh, an umbrella company, uh, a client, and the actual contractor on the end ha actually being paid POIE, then who is having to do what? My judgment on it would be that as the client, that is the really the employer, the person with the work to do for this person, either has work or they don't. So they know whether they should be furloughed or not. They either have work or there is no work. They are the ones that will have to make that decision. It wouldn't make sense if the agency decided, oh, well, there's no work for you, but the employer's waving saying, but I've got stuff to do. Can they, can they keep working, please? It doesn't make sense. So 
assuming that there is an active relationship um, between uh, a client and the contractor, say, in this you know, long chain, then the client should be saying, I have no work left. And the agency should be saying, uh, okay, then we'll furlough them because they run the POA payroll or the umbrella company, if it goes further down to an umbrella company running the POA payroll, then they should say, okay, then we'll uh, enact that furlough status because they are like the technical employer from the perspective of they're the ones that pay the wages POA into the bank account. So there's a long chain, but I think it's down to the client, assuming there's an active engaged client, to say there's no work, um, you should furlough them. Um, and the contractor, um, I assume, would be willing to agree. I can't imagine yet a scenario where if you were offered to be paid without work, you would say, no, no, <laughs> I would rather have nothing. Um, perhaps you're very well off and you don't want to put strain on the system, who knows. But if both agree, then that can proceed. There's a statement here from the employee's perspective that you should know if you're an employer that says, if you are made redundant after the 28th of February, your employer can agree to re-employ you. And I made a reference to this earlier. That's been explicitly mentioned to them. If you have laid off some workers after the 28th of February and those workers know you could rehire them purely on furlough basis, even if only for the duration of being able to keep them on, only to make them redundant later. Um, it's something you should reasonably consider to do. It would be a positive PR move. If you operate in a small industry, the potential pool of workers know you and what you have done or not done due to coronavirus. If you are looking after your workers, you're finding it you'll find it easier to get and retain the best talent in the future. If you don't look after your workers, you're going to find that tricky. So I think there's definitely a very negative PR to having laid everybody off. I mean, I think, was it Weatherspoons that got massively uh, slammed in the news for instantly laying off a whole load of workers? I don't know if they've rectified that by doing the same thing. I don't know. Um, bear in mind, of course, whatever actions you've taken as a business leading up to now are with incomplete information. I think you should be forgiven for them. But now that you know, uh, as soon as the scheme's available, perhaps you should consider doing that. It would make positive PR. Negative PR may occur if you don't. Uh, but it's your judgment, it's up to you. There's a statement here uh, saying, if you're on universal credit, uh, your payment might change. Uh, I would adjust that to be even more pushy and say, when your pay payments change, like now, uh, like as it keeps happening, Keep turning to turn to us and their calculator to see if you're now eligible for uh, universal credits when you weren't before to see if the amount should rise if it hasn't and then make sure that makes its way through the system however however that does. I'm afraid I don't know the universal credit system so well, but definitely um, there's a link here in this document um, to do with uh, universal credit, how your earnings affect your payments. So I'll make sure that's in the show notes in case that applies to you or your employees. So again, continuing this document from the employee's perspective, uh, how your monthly earnings are calculated. If you've been employed or engaged by an employment business, in the case of agency workers, for a full year, employers will claim for the hire of either the amount you earned in the same month last year or an average of your monthly earnings from the last year. You may have noticed a slight wording change. In the previous document, it said you can claim. However, your employees are being told in this document that you will claim for the higher of the two amounts, so you probably should 
figure it out and claim for the higher of the two amounts because if your employees have a vested uh, financial interest in getting their proper raised seasonal rates for March uh, and you don't do that because you chose to do an average of the monthly earnings, they know that you should have done it because it said you will do it that way. Bear that in mind. Uh, if you've been employed for less than a year, employees will claim for an average of your monthly earnings since you started work. The same arrangements apply if your monthly pay varies, such as if you're on zero-hour contract. And if you started working in February, your employer will pro-rata your earnings from that month. So you're basically being, your employees are being told by the government that you will be doing these things. So please do make reference to this document and do that if you are running a payroll. Uh, if your employer chooses to place you on furlough, you will need to remain on furlough for a minimum of three weeks. Again, in this document, it's incredibly specific. I don't know why it wasn't mentioned in the other document. However, your employer can place you on furlough more than once, and one period can follow straight after an existing furlough period. So you don't even need to bring them back in for that day of work. You can just re-furlough them uh, while the scheme is open. The scheme will be open for at least three months. So there you go. There's the specific statement on how... Uh, the minimum period you can do is three weeks and then you can revisit it every three weeks to keep them on furlough only for as long as you actually have no work for them. So that's probably a good way of doing it. Um, you can do that and still advise your employees that you don't anticipate it changing, but it might be a fast changing situation. So you're going to cover your bases by furloughing for the three week minimums each time. Um, that might be a reasonable thing to do. And I think we're through with another document. So two documents there. These are the official uh, HMRC guidelines on the two uh, on the coronavirus job retention scheme, uh, and they're from an employee's and an employer's perspective. Hopefully, that's been helpful for you if you are an employee working through maybe a limited company, and you know your salary is your own salary, and you know whether you qualified or not. There's a lot of detail and eligibility that we've gone through that should help you to work out whether you can claim um, maybe if, you, if you're an employee that should be quite clear, if you're an employer whether you can claim for your employees and if you are a limited company owner director under what scenarios you would be able to uh, pay yourself uh, that 80% salary and claim it from the government. So hopefully that's helped with that. Like I say, again, if you are a limited company owner director, then you will be looking at only the job retention scheme and not the self-employed income support scheme, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, and you will only be able to do that for your PAYE uh, salary, not your dividends. If you only pay yourself dividends, there's nothing there for you. If you're only paying yourself salary, then, uh, then that should be the maximum there for you. If you've got a mixture, your dividends will be disregarded um, and you'll be looking at your POI uh, element. And you can claim for the 80% of that, provided you meet all the other eligibility criteria, such as having been on a payroll actively um, on or before the 28th of February. So that is uh, a lot of detail. Um, what else was I going to say during this? Uh, I think there was... There is confusion out there as to who should do the furloughing. If there is uh, an agency, um, a client and all that. Uh, like I say, if there's a long employment chain, um, if there's a current ongoing engagement with the client, it would make sense for the client to say there's no more work. Uh, we'd be happy to mark you as furloughed. 
um, the clients don't have to make any payments, they don't have to do anything anymore, then that's all the actual employer, which may be your own limited company, or it may be uh, your uh, umbrella company, or it may be an agency that employs you directly they will then be able to process. Whoever does the POA payroll will be waiting upon the provider of work to say there's no work and they should be furloughed. If it's an agency and you're between um, placements, uh, I'm not sure how that will work. It's unclear. I would su suggest that it depends on what your existing contractual arrangements are with. I know that previously, a long time ago, I had uh, an agency arrangement whereby the agency employed me and could require me to work at any point in time. I was always employed by them, even if there wasn't a placement. So then it would be them saying you could be furloughed because if they're going to dictate to me that I'm always employed by them, then they can tell me that there's no work um, and that I might be furloughed because they're struggling to find anything. It, it's a possibility. Your own situation is going to be yours to figure out, I'm afraid. Uh, this is all the guidance we've got for now. Uh, but I imagine it would be the interests of most people in the chain if essentially free money from the government is on the line to keep business continuity by using this uh, retention scheme and marking workers without work as furloughed. So I imagine that most people will be uh, open to making this work. Let's move on. After more cold coffee. Right, I'm fuelled for probably the last part here, which is the Self-Employment Income Support Scheme. This was the newest bit that we were waiting for on the last podcast, and I didn't have much opportunity to say anything more about until now, unless you are on our mailing list, in which case I've been sending you updates for these things as they've happened. Let's go through the eligibility criteria. This is the critical thing you're most interested in, no doubt. So, well, firstly, what it is, the scheme will allow you to claim a taxable grant worth 80% of your trading profits up to a maximum of £2,500 per month for the next three months. This may be extended if needed. That's the summary statement, but the detail is, you know, the devil's in the detail. So who can apply? You can apply if you're a self-employed individual. Remember, that doesn't count if you're a limited company contractor and you uh, are um, not self-employed working for that limited company which is a strange and unusual arrangement, which you do see it sometimes. You set up your own business and then offer your own self-employed services to that business rather than being directly employed by it. It does happen, but if you're not in that arrangement and you're running yourself a payroll or paying yourself dividends directly from the limited company, then this is not you. This is not the self-employed they mean. Um, this is if you fill out self-assessment, call yourself self-employed and pay, uh, you know, pay your taxes that way. If that's how you do it, if you're a self-employed individual or a member of a partnership, complicated beasts they are, uh, I shan't go into that detail, let's stick with the self-employed from my perspective. You can apply if you're a self-employed individual or a member of a partnership and you have submitted your income tax self-assessment tax return for the tax year 2018-19. If you've traded in the tax year 2019-20. If you are trading when you apply or would be except for COVID-19. If you intend to continue to trade in the tax year 2020-2021. If you have lost trading or partnership trading profits due to COVID-19. Your self-employed trading profits must also be less than £50,000 and more than half of your income come from self-employment. This is determined by at least one of the following conditions being true. 
having trading profits or partnership trading profits in 2018-19 of less than £50,000 and these profits can constitute more than half of your total taxable income. Or having average trading profits in 2016-2017, 2017-2018 and 2018-2019 of less than £50,000 and these profits constitute more than half of your average taxable income in the same period. If you started trading between 2016 and 2019, HMRC will only use those years for which you filed a self-assistant tax return. And if you have not submitted your income tax self-assessment tax return for the tax year 2018-19, you must do it by the 23rd of April 2020. HMRC will use data on the 2018-19 returns already submitted to identify those eligible and will risk assess any late returns filed before the 23rd of April 2020 deadline in the usual way. You'll get a taxable grant which will be 80% of the average profits from the tax years where applicable 2016 to 2017, 2017 to 2018, 2018 to 2019. To work out the average, HMRC will add together the total trading profit for the three tax years where applicable, divide it by three where applicable, and use this to calculate a monthly amount. It will be up to a maximum of £2,500 per month for three months. We'll pay the grant directly into your bank account in one instalment. You can't apply for the scheme yet. They'll contact you if you're eligible. HMRC will contact you if you're eligible. So that was me reading verbatim for a little while. But let's be more clear than the documents, because it's quite convoluted. So, you must have submitted a, a self-assessment tax return for 2018-19. If you haven't done it, you need to do it by the 23rd of April, otherwise you'll be ineligible. You must have traded within this most recent tax year and be expecting to continue to trade, except arguably for reasons due to COVID-19 and you must have lost profits from COVID-19. If you're doing better, this is not intended to be for you. So this is what we're left with. Um, we've got some very specific uh, criteria here and also some inspecific calculations because it's going to average over the year's profit. I was talking to one person who started their trading in the middle of a tax year they're going to just explicitly divide it by the tax years. So they're not going to pro rata for when you start your self-employed setup if you started in the midway of one of these tax years here. They're going to just average it over those years, one, two or three. Right, pardon the interruption, I had a dishwasher delivered. Right, so um, we were talking about what, was, uh, what the eligibility criteria were and how they're going to calculate. Uh, yeah, they're going to take the whole tax year and they're going to calculate according to the whole tax year, which includes the majority of your trading profits coming from employment. So this is going to be quite uh, employment versus self-employment. So if you have gone self-employed partway through a tax year and it was towards the end, um, you then during that tax year, the majority of your income won't have come from self-employment. As far as I can tell, that means you won't be eligible for this, even if you're now self-employed and finding yourself with your income interrupted. There are so many uh, ways to trip up and be ineligible for this support. It's really quite, quite extreme. Um, and just to draw a, a parallel between self-employment and employment, your 
POIE option, if you are employed directly, uh, has no £50,000 upper limit. So if you are earning 150000 granted you'd only get up to £2,500 per month, 80% of that, but still you'd be eligible. Whereas here, if you're self-employed and you've been doing very well, earning on average more than 50000 you won't get anything. This strikes me as really rather unfair. Um, and within the context of when this was announced, the Chancellor decided during the time of national crisis to make a specific reference to, to the self-employed, inferring that the contributions made by the self-employed are somehow unequal to those making contributions via PYE and saying that it, going forward it would be harder to justify uh, unequal contributions. I find that really unwelcome at this time. If I were feeling particularly cynical I would be suggesting that the Chancellor was trying to take advantage of the crisis to further her agenda to raise taxes for the self-employed once we're through this by using the fact that the government has provided help to everyone as some kind of justification. And if you're on my mailing list and you saw that when I, when I wrote this out, I, I really think that the Chancellor is willfully conflating two different things. On the one hand, the government's role and responsibility to look after the safety and security of its citizens. Now that should happen regardless of your employment status um, or how you're employed or how you even pay taxes or if you even pay taxes. They're conflating that and their choices about how they collect tax. They're in control of these laws. There's been a Tory government for what, is it over a decade now is it? I, I, I don't remember exactly but you know they've had every chance to make changes to employment laws that they want, they haven't. So they have made and or kept previous choices as to how self-employed and the employed are taxed. But they're conflating this whole government's responsibility thing with the differing benefits and risks and livelihoods of those who are self-employed versus those who are employed. Um, you don't need anyone with a degree to tell you the kinds of people who work self-employed are quite different to the kinds of people who work employed. The kinds of people who are self-employed are constantly working through the risk of not getting paid for 60, 90 days, maybe even longer when they actually do work, whereas if you're employed you get paid straight away. If you're <laughs> self-employed um, anyway, if they choose to try and flatten out the contribution system so that they're more equivalent, uh, the only place that would be arguable that this would bear any resemblance to what's going on currently is where we're talking about how the NHS is funded and those parts of the contributions are already the same. So I don't understand what the point is here. The only difference in national insurance contributions that I can see is the so-called secondary state pension, which if you're self-employed, you don't get. You don't contribute to it and you don't receive it. That's it. If uh, the Chancellor would like to change how that's done um, and uh, make self-employed people eligible to contribute towards that secondary state pension, fine, okay, 
<laughs> that's maybe not such a massive deal, um, but I suspect really what's in uh, the Chancellor's sights is still IR35. Just before this crisis hit its um, peak, there were contractors marching in Westminster to argue against IR35, this uh, concept of being in disguised employment but working through a limited company uh, and being able to pay yourself a combination of dividends and POIE and so for the same uh, amount of money that one might have received uh, employed versus working through a limited uh, company, then you might be paying overall a less percentage. Uh, but normally that's a totally theoretical comparison because it's either a contract that a company can satisfy or it's employment. Um, but there are scenarios in the world where there is disguised employment sat alongside regular employment and in those scenarios the, uh, the government, HMRC, has been in a, for a very long time trying to remove that disparity. So if the Chancellor is trying to just embolden himself in going on in that direction, uh, then I don't think we'll see any change to the same course that we were going to plot anyway. But if he is planning some changes to uh, the uh, insurance contributions due to the self-employed, he'd better also ensure that the benefits available to the self-employed raise in line with that. Because outside of emergencies, you have fewer benefits self-employed than if you're employed. Anyway, that aside uh, being what it is, I hope this has helped somewhat. Uh, in particular, the self-employed income support scheme is quite convoluted in its rules and calculations. I hope I've managed to make that uh, clear. Um, don't rush to submit a tax return for 2019-2020 because it, it, it won't be counted, it won't matter. Um, they only want to know that you traded. Uh, that's the only part here that's in reference to 2019-20 is the fact that you are still trading. Um, but you have to then tell them that you've closed, I think, anyway, that when you've ceased your self-employment. So if you haven't done that, then they already think that you're trading. They're already expecting a self-assessment from you anyway. So there's no action required there. So don't rush to do a tax return for this most recent tax year. It won't matter. And if you have been... Uh, trading consistently over the past uh, four years, therefore really, uh, then that's, this is going to be the absolute easiest thing. Um, but yeah, there will be so many people who slip through the cracks of the system and you will be reliant on uh, basically universal credit to step up. And universal credit isn't terrible, but it isn't uh, brilliant either. Uh, don't think you won't get anything, because if you're not going to get anything through this, uh, then Universal Credit will be stepping in as much as it can to help. So they seem to have the approach, they're trying to make use of everything they can reasonably do to catch most of the cases uh, that they can um, and then allow the existing benefit system to collect everyone who falls through the cracks. And I hope that that's going to work for you, if at all you're negatively affected by COVID. Because of course, I keep saying it, but it is true, there are loads of people who are not seeing incredible negative downsides uh, to their business. Maybe they were doing something that just isn't affected or is in high demand. Um, good on you. Glad you're doing well in business. As long as you're not extorting people, I think that's A-OK -okay by me. So uh, I hope, like I say, that this has been useful. Uh, I think we'll have to leave it there. Um, I have been watching the documentation unfold. I, again, if you want live updates as and when guidance changes, take a look at the link in the show notes. We have a always up-to-date advice page. We have a mailing list where I send out any material changes that we become aware of. For example, finding that quote 
um, and you know watching that interview uh, where Ben Kerry told us that this would you know the job retention scheme would apply to the company directors. We managed to find all of that. Anything else we can find from changing guidance and documents? Uh, we have a document. We can update you if you're on the mailing list, and I do keep. Um, a history on that document as to how it's changed. If you went to some of these documents a week ago, you would have seen very different advice to what you see now. Um, and if you're unsure as to something uh, has changed significantly, you might want to check towards the bottom of this document uh, that I have written, where I have uh, items like uh, what, how, how the guidance has changed. Uh, and there is, you know, each date what we saw got changed in the guidance. So for example, over this previous weekend, we know that the business support FAQs uh, document the government uh, has has been updated to include a reminder that the planned off-payroll IR35 changes aren't going ahead for 2020-2021. Um, we have uh, a couple of things that they've changed the phrasing to, making it clear that they weren't so clear before. Uh, so some admission that, they're, that their written advice has uh, needs to change regularly. So if something is not well explained in the documents, it may well be that it's changed a few days later to be uh, more descriptive. But if you'd like to um, be kept up to date with that, then join that mailing list. One more thing to add that I forgot about. This is why I have a stack of papers. The, uh, there was an announcement during one of our daily briefings uh, also very recently saying that they would be relaxing the rules on so-called wrongful trading. The reason this is important is if you are a limited company owner, director, one of your uh, responsibilities is to uh, act positively towards your creditors, basically. Uh, and it means that if your business is going under um, in normal trading times, and putting this whole thing to one side, in normal trading times, if your business were going under and you knew it, but you continued to try to trade to keep getting credit, uh, then you could be accused of wrongful trading. Um, it's not a criminal offence, but it is a civil offence. It's taken seriously by the courts and it basically means uh, it carries with it potential dis disqualification as a director for up to 15 years, uh, plus other financial fines and penalties, and you could be held personally liable for company debts. And of course, the point of a limited company is it limits your liability. So you want to make sure that you're not in a situation where you can be proven to be acting negligently or wrongful trading like this, where you become liable for those debts. Um, Directors have an obligation to inform company shareholders when an insolvent position has been reached and to seek guidance of a licensed insolvency practitioner, etc. You know, etc. Et um, the point this is relevant now is because directors may be trying to trade with good intentions in order to guide the company out of trouble, uh, but you have a duty to put your creditors' interests first when insolvency comes and to limit creditors' exposure uh, to additional debt. Um, in many cases, it means the company should cease trading immediately. But in the middle of COVID-19, they have specifically relaxed those rules. Essentially, they want every business to try and guide their way positively out. They don't want massive structural change to the economy because we're not anticipating massively that many months from now that it would be very different to a couple of months ago. So the structure of the economy then should be largely similar to the structure of the economy in the future. So we don't want lots of structural damage by companies closing down and uh, shutting up shop uh, because the directors are worried that they will be held responsible and liable for the debts of their companies through wrongful trading. So those are being suspended. So you can uh, more safely continue to try to trade your company out of uh, 
uh, out of this challenging time. Uh, you don't need to worry that you're going to be held personally liable unless for other reasons you are held negligent. For example, don't trade fraudulently. There's uh, uh, other problems uh, there. So hopefully a bit of good news. Um, you can, uh, you're being lent every possibility to trade your way out of, uh, of this you know, challenging time. Loads of advice there, loads of detail. It's complicated. If you're in any uh, uncertainty as to how this applies to you, do have a look at the always up-to-date uh, up guidance. Have a look through. There's loads there on all of the things available, including sick pay, ESA, those schemes that we've just spoken about, that deferral, all of that sort of stuff is on that page. And the sign up to the mailing list will let you know if anything's changing. And uh, yeah, other than that, uh, chin up. Uh, it'll be over at some point uh, and like I say maybe you're already going to find uh, new revenue streams you didn't know about uh, because you've had to adapt uh, to this. If you're a business owner um, you're used to having to adapt especially if you've been in business for any length of time. Now is just one of those scenarios. If you can at all adapt, uh, if you have to hunker down and cut all debts, um, cut all your um, liabilities, write down, talk to all those uh, lenders and say, I can't pay for a little bit and, and can you know, have uh, forbearance on those debts and uh, use those grants to keep your employers, uh, your employees uh, on payroll. There's lots of help. You're just gonna have to navigate which bits of help you're gonna choose to use, which bits are available and which things you can do. Hopefully, hopefully, we've managed to help with that at least a little bit. So that's it for now. Uh, have a great couple of days. I'm sure we'll be back with uh, a podcast soon. If anything fundamental changes, we will, of course, be uh, back with more. Uh, and maybe we'll return to some general good old business advice. I imagine um, planning for business continuity might be a good topic to cover around these times. So uh, maybe we'll do that in a couple of days and you can have some non-COVID-specific stuff going on. Um, for now, thanks for watching or listening and uh, see you in the next one. Bye.